stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's stock strategist, Ethan Feller, to discuss how to pick stocks in a sell-off. So this is an interesting time for stock investors or traders because it's been kind of rough two months here. We've had a sell-off in September, but then I was told it was supposed to end. We were supposed to resume the rally in October, but that has not happened. And now we're wrapping up October and stocks are still weak and still in this kind of bearish sell-off. So how do you invest or trade in this type of market? I brought Ethan on board here to give us some of his advice. And also he's going to let us know what he sees happening out there because every week on this podcast, you hear my take on the uh, market and the economy and uh, whatever's going on on Wall Street. So it's good to get other people's perspectives. And so Ethan... Welcome to the podcast today. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me on, Tracy. Yeah, so what is going on out there? Um, This is a much weaker market than I think most people assumed it would be going into November, but November and December are usually two of the best months of the year. So what do you see happening out there on, you know, the technical side, fundamental side on, you know, with stocks right now? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I agree. We definitely got uh, some unexpected divergences. We all heard about how the second half of October was supposed to be extremely bullish and um, how the third quarter of the year or the last quarter of the year is supposed to be uh, a very bullish time of the year. But there's a lot of cross currents coming in at the moment, sort of shaking up the market and, you know, adding some additional uncertainty that sort of wasn't expected. So um, before I um, make any stock recommendations or decide what I want to buy or sell, I really want to take a detailed inventory of the current market environment. And I want to best understand where we are today so that I can position myself for a few different future scenarios rather than trying to immediately forecast what I think is going to happen in the future. So where are we today? What's going on? What happened? So we're experiencing the worst sell-off of the year so far, the largest correction uh, in what has so far been a pretty good year for most of the stock market. Um, The S&P 500 is now 10% off of its highs. Um, And NASDAQ is about 12% and they're still up nicely on the year. However, if you look at the Russell 2000, um, there's a pretty significant divergence there, and it's actually trading right at its 2022 lows. So the small caps have been hit significantly harder. Now, what is causing what's causing the market to sell off? What's happening here? Um, most recently, we've seen an escalation um, in this conflict in the Middle East, which has increased uh, geopolitical uncertainty, and uh, it. We don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, is the U.S. going to get involved? Is it going to continue to escalate? So that's the first thing that really recently has increased uncertainty in the market. But also, uh, extremely important development is the rapid rise in interest rates, especially um, in the long end uh, of the Treasury curve. 
And we've seen that uh, the 10-year Treasury note is now trading at 5%, which really shifts the dynamic in the markets because higher interest rates means it's more expensive to borrow money for companies. And it also makes uh, these fixed income instruments a lot more competitive. And, you know, people might uh, consider, okay, you know, I got this stock, it's got a lot of debt, it's not growing very fast, it's kind of an uncertain time, maybe I'm going to switch over, I'm going to buy some treasuries, and I'm going to collect my 5% uh, over the next year or five years or 10 years, and, and just hold steady for now. So that's a few of the things that's going on right now. And uh, yeah, is there anything you want to add, Tracy? Well, just that, uh, you know, it, if you're talking about alternatives, why not just go in cash too? <laughs> like if I can get four or 5% in cash with no risk whatsoever, um, why not do that? And so I can kind of see what the dynamics were in the 1970s, you know, by the time Bloomberg uh, or Business Week magazine, as it was known then, um, you know, put, put out its now infamous cover about the death of equities. Uh, yeah. If, if you're getting like 15% on a CD, yeah, I'm not buying any stock <laughs> with that going on. And we're not even at that. We're only at 5% right now, but even at five, it's looking pretty attractive. Now, alternatively, um, you know, maybe there's too much fear in the market and some stocks are looking, you know, pretty reasonable at current levels. So, you know, I think it's pretty easy to at any time write a very bearish narrative about why stocks should sell off. And, but the stock market proves time and time again that it climbs this wall of worry and it usually just goes higher, especially over the long term. We know it goes higher. But, you know, I think with the dynamic with higher interest rates and sort of, you know, an economy that could, you know, possibly shift to a slowdown. I'm not rushing into growth stocks or anything too speculative, but I think um, stocks that have sort of long-term economic, tr uh, secular trends, tailwinds, pushing them higher, uh, that are trading at reasonable valuations. I think those are, the, you know, I want to be a little bit more defensive and look for stocks where the downside is limited and the long-term upside is pretty good. So you would say uh, you're not in GameStop right now? No, not today. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> but, you know, you know, I mean, there's other, not even quite that speculative. You know, I like uh, some cybersecurity companies are fast growing and they got really great tailwinds. But, you know, they're trading 50 times, 70 times earnings. And it's, you know, I, I want to find something a little bit less speculative than that, too. Okay, so... The, the Palo Alto networks of the world, those are, are kind of off the list. Um, what about like drug stocks? Some of them are trading at, in the 40s and 50 times now too because the weight loss drug kind of craziness. So I would assume those are also off for the same reason because yes. of valuation issues. Yes, definitely. Okay. So what would be in, what, what, is, what are some... Uh, areas that you do consider to be, you know, the right value valuation side, plus maybe some other opportunity there, um, but maybe has a defensive edge to it. Yes, definitely. It's exactly what I'm looking for. So uh, should I get into the first stock? Sure. Okay, cool. 
So for those of you who are listening, we are sharing our screens today again on the video podcast, which you can get on zax.com slash YouTube on our YouTube channel. Okay. <laughs> That's my, my little message for today. So can you see my screen? Is it up? Yes. So the first talk I'm looking at is uh, Vistra, or Vistra Corp. It's um, an electric and power utility company. And it is one of the utility stocks that I think, or that is um, sort of the, one of the front runners in terms of leading the energy transition to more alternative um, based uh, energy. Uh, they have a really uh, nicely diverse, so it's not only alternative energy sources, they have a nicely diversified um, set of energy assets. Uh, they have natural gas, um, solar, they also have nuclear and battery um, energy assets. Um, and it's, uh, it's got very reasonable valuation and it's got good re uh, relative strength and we'll get into all that right now. So first thing that drew my attention to it was um, so the utilities sector has really gotten bombed out over this last year or over the last few months, really, um, as uh, treasury and fixed income assets have really boosted, have gotten a lot higher interest rates and better um, income for, for investors. Um, a lot of investors have rotated out of utilities, which have been sort of a haven for more conservative investors that are looking for regular income because utilities are very steady. Um, they offer uh, nice dividend payments and they're not going anywhere. But as we said before, now that these treasury securities are offering such nice interest rates, you know, uh, a lot of people got out of utilities. Um, so utilities have not performed well. However, um, Vistra has performed extremely well. It's had a great year. Uh, we can look at this year to date chart right here. Vistra was trading at uh, $22 at the beginning of the year and is now uh, at just above $32.58. So it's up 50% year to date. Um, so let's take a look actually at the industry chart. So I'm going to go to, we're looking at the and electric why, industry. Why has Vistra outperformed when everybody has fled the others? Is it because of like the nuclear side or just the diversity of their portfolio? Um, yeah, so it's probably a few things. Um, it's, uh, it's got great uh, sales and earnings growth, uh, most importantly. And um, it, yeah, and I think also just uh, the uh, energy transition too, I think has, has played a big factor. And it's also benefiting from the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, it's gotten some nice tax breaks because of it, because of its uh, rapidly shifting uh, energy assets. And yeah, it, it's really drawn in investors uh, much more than the rest of the industry. So here's the industry chart. And I, I saw that it did pay a dividend and it's yielding 2.5%. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, do they have like a history of raising it or do you know? I, I don't know on some of these utilities or if it's, that's just pretty steady. I didn't look. I'm not exactly sure. We, we can take a look at that, though. We'll go back right after we check out this chart. But so we can see that um, utility industry here in green, electric utilities, is down 15% year to date. Um, while IVV, which represents the S&P 500, is up 10% year to date. So that's 25% spread. 
between the industry. And we know that uh, um, Vistra is up 50% year to date. So it's considerably outperformed the industry and considerably outperformed um, the broad market. So I like, I like looking for relative strength and it's further bolstered by it's very reasonable um, forward earnings, uh, forward earnings multiple. And it's trading at uh, 9.2 times forward earnings. Uh, and this is below the industry average, which is 12 and a half times earnings. And it's below the, um, below its long-term median, which is uh, 13 times earnings. Well, I know as a value investor, anything under 10 times, um, you know, is always considered to be pretty cheap. Sure. So yeah, even after such, um, tremendous stock price appreciation, it's still trading at a very reasonable, um, valuation. Um, and yeah, like Tracy noted, it's got a 2.5% dividend yield. Um, I think we can see dividend, yeah, dividend history here. Does it? And yeah, so that, oh, yeah, yeah it's, we go. it's got a regular, um, increases in its dividend payment, annualized dividend growth over the last five years is 13.2% annually. So it's a nice, um, yeah, looks like it's, it's pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. raising it a bit. So that's good. Ten, that's ten what dividend uh, increases over the last five years. Okay. Um, if we get out of utilities, what, what is another area? I, I just saw uh, one of the strategists talking about, you know, other defensive areas you can be in on CNBC. And he was talking about the magnificent seven, <laughs> uh, but he, you know, we all know that that's kind of where you can go as a defensive play. What has worked this year? It's been the Magnificent Seven, or at least most of it. Most of the components in there have had a good year, even if they're off their recent highs. But, um, you know, as as the strategist said, he considered it to be a crowded trade and that eventually it too will roll over. <laughs> it's not what we want to hear, though, right? Because all of us own this. We own it if we own the triple Qs or the S&P 500, or we might own even the individual positions. So what's your take on the Magnificent Seven? Is there one of them or, or you know, is there something in there that is more defensive than one of the others? I'm assuming it's not going to be NVIDIA. Yeah. Yeah. That's, those are really good points. I mean, you're right. It's They've gone on a huge run this year. Although it's worth noting, you know, they came off such lows, such depressed lows from in 2022. They really got sold hard. So, but yeah, I, I agree. There, there is one that I think is a particular standout and it's Alphabet. Um, yeah, Alphabet, they just reported earnings last week and the market actually really didn't like it. Um, they beat on both top and bottom line, um, but they missed their cloud growth estimates by just a couple percent. I think it was the uh, 8.6 billion uh, was uh, what they were expecting. I think it came in at 8.4. So it was a slight miss, um, but cloud still showed a uh, 22% annual growth. So, so there's a few reasons why I prefer Alphabet um, to the rest of them. Um, one, I think that this sell-off that I just experienced following uh, earnings, earnings report uh, is a little bit short-sighted. It's still got um, a lot of really good, strong growth. Um, sales uh, just uh, reaccelerated to uh, 11% year-over-year growth, which is now 
um, back to double digits. And um, yeah, it's got the lowest um, relative uh, valuation to the other Magnificent Seven. It's forward PE is uh, 21.8 times. And uh, it also has uh, earnings per share uh, growth forecasts of 15.36% annual growth, which is uh, the second highest um, besides just Meta. Now, I do have to say about Alphabet, I own it in my own personal portfolio, but I didn't buy it until about five years ago, maybe five or six years ago. I can't remember exactly, maybe five. And I, I kind of threw in the towel on it when I ended up buying it for my own portfolio because over the years, I, I've, I followed it as everybody else has, and they kept growing earnings over 10% and sales. The revenue side over 10, in, in fact, over 20 on the sales side year over year over year. And at some point I was like, well, this has to end. Nobody can keep doing it like this. And they certainly can't even keep doing double digits as we've now seen with Apple, who's not doing the double digits on the revenue side anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, it's had a few years where occasionally it, it will dip down, but it resumes the double digits on the sales side. And that is just so incredibly hard and impressive with a company that's this big. I mean, it's just, I can't even, I can't even have more words than that. So it's, that's you know, why I ended up buying it. Five years ago. Yeah. It's right. Just, it's hard, hard to beat. Yeah. And I feel like, um, some aspects of it get overlooked. I know that everybody is all into the cloud and that that wasn't as big a growth driver last quarter as people were hoping it was going to be. But then you switch over and look at just what YouTube is doing. YouTube has always been kind of this throwaway within the company. And it wasn't even until just a couple of years ago that they started, uh, telling us what YouTube was doing on the revenue side. It was, it was never, uh, you know, separated out as a separate entity until just a couple of years ago. And, and now you can see why, because it's crushing it, especially on the advertising side. So, um, yeah, like, uh, people kind of just overlook. Google, because it's just in our everyday life so much, either on YouTube or maybe you have an Android phone like I do and you're using Google Pay and maybe you're on a Google app of some kind if through their app store and not on Apple. But um, yeah, like it's it's always been impressive, but kind of overlooked, I feel. Yeah, it's it's impressive. You can see. Oh, I is like this telling at, us on the revenue on the YouTube? Yep, this key side here tab. you've pulled up. So, what does that show? Year-to-date uh, estimates on the YouTube there. Yeah, so it looks like fiscal year twenty-three estimates are thirty-one point three billion. Yeah, just YouTube. Wow. So, um, does it give? Oh, it does give us the other year. So, in twenty eighteen, it does. It was parsed out then for eleven point one billion. So in those five years since I've owned it, it's basically almost tripled its YouTube revenue, just that alone. Wow. Yeah. So um, where's the cloud on there? So the cloud is down a couple uh, slots there. Google revenue cloud is at $33 billion, it looks like they're expecting. Is that right? 
Mm-hmm. Or is that yeah. millions? That's billions. Million. Okay. So about equal with the YouTube, but yet everybody's kind of panicking about the cloud and they just overlook the YouTube. So, um, you know, I've always considered it to be uh, not a value stock per se, but when it gets down where it is trading, I think at, yeah, 21.8 times that is on the lower side, although I have seen it go under 20 off and on, especially when the pandemic hit because its advertising business did get hit. So it was trading at like 17 times or something around that. I think it's historical period. median over the last 10 years is 26. 26 is it? Something. Okay. So okay. it's below its median. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely. So, okay. So, so someone could hang out in Google or Al- Alphabet yeah. as it's officially called. And, you know, it's just a quick point. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, is AI going to be, uh, you know, is this chat GPT going to disrupt Google's search engine business? And I just think they're totally different technologies. And uh, I think Google search, it's got 95% market share. And uh, I think it's, you're looking too far into the future to think that that's uh, going to get disrupted. So I think, you know, being defensive, I think Google is, is a pretty fair bet here. Okay. Here's a question for you. Do you think Google or Alphabet should spin off YouTube? That is a good question. I mean, it it sort of fits right in. I mean, it's like a search engine, right? So it is. So your answer would be no, you don't don't think think they should. Okay. All right. Uh, Leaving the Magnificent Seven, what other area do you feel maybe someone could hang out in, you know, right now? Yeah, I think, um, I think oil, oil and gas. And energy has some longer term uh, tailwinds that, uh, you know, you can rely on near term and over the longer run. And they're also, most energy stocks are trading at at very fair prices. Um, I quite like the super majors, Chevron or Exxon. And I think Chevron is a little bit more appealing right now. Um, Both just completed. some near record breaking acquisitions. Uh, Chevron acquired Hess, uh, the uh, oil company that, that sells the little uh, holiday trucks that I, I was always getting when I was growing up. And uh, it's a, it was a really great strategic acquisition. Uh, Hess has um, the second largest uh, ownership in Guyana, which is a um, small South American country that is recently discovered huge, uh, offshore oil, um, reserves. And, uh, so that gave them a 30% stake, uh, in the Guyana, uh, offshore reserves. So they're, they're well positioned. We see, uh, the industry consolidating and, you know, the longer term, um, tailwinds for oil are that there's been pretty significant underinvestment over the last decade or so. And, there's been a few factors that caused that. Um, firstly, um, the what we were talking before about the uh, energy transition to alternative energy sources has really penalized any kind of uh, investment in oil uh, because, of course, it's not green. So uh, there hasn't really been a lot of build out uh, into oil and gas infrastructure. So it takes a long time to, to build those assets and you, you don't really see too much new investment in them. So 
there's going to be a long time before any new supply really comes onto the market. Um, also limiting uh, more investment is during the last um, capital cycle, like uh, early 2000s to 2011 or so, there was gross overinvestment in oil assets. And a, a lot of oil companies got killed uh, on the downside when oil uh, fell below $100. $100. So they all kind of have some PTSD from that uh, prior commodity cycle. So just in general, there's uh, an undersupply of, of, of new oil. So that'll keep a bid likely under the price of oil for a long time. And this, uh, you know, geopolitical uh, tension abroad in, in Ukraine and and now in the Middle East, you know, it is an additional factor that uh, could push oil prices higher, which would increase um, the profits for these oil companies. So is Chevron, I know, is, uh, you know, since it's one of the big oils, it's been paying that dividend for many, many years now. And I believe it is a dividend aristocrat, isn't it? It's and that means it's been paying and raising its dividend for over 25 years. I did just hear, I thought they said they raised it for the fourth quarter, like 8% again. So the dividend was just recently raised again. But I see it's yielding four, is that 413 there? 4.13%, yeah. yeah. It's a really, that's a nice, nice yield there. And like I said, a very reasonable uh, valuation, 10.4 times forward earnings. Uh, with earnings, uh, earnings growth forecasts, 13.8%. So it's, it's, you know, we got upside and the downside is limited. And you can see the peg ratio is under one. So it's, uh, the, the energy is still hated, but you know, for people looking for somewhere to hang out right now, um, with that dividend, I think it's a good area to be looking around for all the reasons you just mentioned. I see on that chart, it does have a quite a big sell-off here. I've, I haven't been paying any attention because I know that energy did well in September, but now it's not doing so well. The WTI has come down off of its recent highs. Um, and then we see quite a nice little sell-off here. Um, I wonder if, you know, obviously this is a buying opportunity. If it continues to slide, it's going to get even cheaper while those earnings are on the rise. Yep. You know, I think people can be quick to look, oh, you know, uh, earnings are down significantly for Chevron this year, but you know, they, they forget that oil was $130 a year ago. So, and, uh, it, 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 they, but they got to build up a huge cash position. Now they, uh, can buy new assets. So. I think they're in a pretty good position going forward. I've never owned Chevron. I I did own Exxon for about 15 years at one point. And for those people who've listened to this podcast a long time, they know that my grandmother owned Exxon for like 45 years until she passed away. And then my great aunt, her sister also owned it for about 50 years. And she just recently passed away um, because they inherited from my great grandfather a few shares. It was literally just like a handful of shares, but uh, neither one sold all of it. And so they were like really long-term shareholders. But I owned this smaller energy company uh, for several years and they just got bought out by Chevron a couple months ago. So it was PDC Energy. And now I own Chevron because they are doing all these deals with shares. 
And um, I don't own Hess though, so I'm not going to get any more Chevron. But uh, so this is my first time owning this. We we do know that uh, Warren Buffett is big into Chevron and he bought in a couple of years ago. And I do believe that it was one of the lieutenants who bought in when oil went negative in 2020, because then they started selling that position pretty quickly within a quarter or two, but they didn't sell all of it. And then suddenly Buffett came in with that big check uh, to buy, you know, the billions of dollars worth. And now they still have that considerably large position. I think, yeah, I think uh, between Chevron and Occidental, which is where he continues to build a huge position. I think together they now make his largest position. So, okay. Together, I could see that combined. Well, I'm not sure though. Is that still bigger than Apple? I'm not sure. I don't know. It's good. It's either close. It definitely would be bigger than, you know, second biggest. But uh, it just shows he, you know, his positioning. He he clearly likes oil assets um, going forward. And and another point I want to make is that as much as we have these, policymakers really pushing for this transition and these forecasts for, you know, a shift away from oil. A lot of these oil executives say, you know, as much as we want this too, I don't know if it's realistic. So you have that sort of contrarian position where people don't want to own oil. And uh, if you're willing to, you might get a good deal. Um, On that same topic, you know, since we're bringing up Buffett, I managed to buy Berkshire Hathaway in the insider trader portfolio here at Zacks last July. And the insider trader is a short-term portfolio. We're only supposed to own about one to three months, but I've been known to own them for six or more, depending on what's going on with the market conditions. But I can't remember a time that I have stayed in a stock well over a year. And now it's you know a year and several more months. And that is with Berkshire Hathaway. And the reason I have stayed in it is because it fits in perfectly with what we've been talking about here all during this podcast is that it is a defensive play. And um, last year it was cheaper than what it is now. It's actually gotten quite a bit expensive because it did bust out to new all-time highs here in 2023, but it is off of those highs um, recently. And so, uh, but it's just not as volatile as many of the other large cap stocks. I feel like a lot of people, you're either in this one or you're not. It's not like traders are trading Berkshire Hathaway. Yes, you have the B shares and the A shares. Nobody's trading the A shares really. But the B shares are a little more affordable for you and I. But um, let's see what it's trading at. $340 right now for the B shares. So you know, uh, mom and pops can buy this, but people tend to hold on to the stock. They they are believers in Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. And as long as they're still around and still doing their annual meetings and, you know, still putting out their philosophies of how they invest, then you're going to get a lot of people just kind of hanging out in the stock. Um, also, you know, they, the stock, as I said, isn't real cheap here, <laughs> even though you're like, it's Warren Buffett, I'm buying a value investor, but it's trading at 21 times now. And so I, I do consider that to be pretty pricey. Now I am showing the price and consensus chart on the video and you can see it's 
it's a little dicey. The analysts have gotten a little bit pessimistic here and the estimates have come down a bit, but by 2025, the analysts are looking pretty bullish. And that's probably just because they think we'll be done with the recession by then. Because let's be honest, Berkshire Hathaway is basically the entire economy in that portfolio. And so it's, you know, a, a question of, uh, you know, every type of industry. And when you have Apple doing well, which is its largest equity holding, then the stock tends to do pretty well. Apple's pulled back a bit here. So the Berkshire stock is pulled back, but it's got the big railroad, which will also do well when we get past a recession, if we're going to have one. And it does still have kind of that manufacturing bent to it, though, with a lot of its businesses. And then it also has, you know, a lot of um, it has the auto retailers. No, nobody really talks about them. He doesn't own them in the equities, but he owns a, the company and other companies that are in housing. He has the, you know, the uh uh, manufactured homes. And so basically they're in everything and it is going to kind of move along with the rest of the market, but not as dramatically. And so that's why I like to be in Berkshire when you have a lot of volatility or you have sell-offs because while it has weakened recently, it's not as dramatic as the overall market or, you know, you're not going to get these big swings normally of, you know, 10% down on a single day in this stock. So I like Berkshire Hathaway a lot. And this is one you could maybe kind of hang out in. Yeah. I just want to note, I mean, you saw in 2022, it had a positive performance, which is one of the most painful bear markets in recent years. And, and then this year when we have a strong year, it also performs well. So that's uh, that's his goal. Do do well in the good years and do not so bad in the bad years. For sure. Continues to hold and, true. Yeah. And the stock kind of reflects uh, Buffett and his philosophy. It's kind of a grinder stock. You're you're not in it again for the quick gains or, you know, uh, any, quick anything. You're kind of just in it and it grinds and then it, you know, will do its thing. So you do have to have some patience with it always. But Again, I feel the people who are buying this stock are more likely to be value investors and are a little bit more on the patient side, or at least they should be. Um, okay, so other than these kind of like defensive plays, though, I did want to take a look at one of the stocks that has been just really beaten up. I recently did a podcast about how low can some of these stocks go in the sell-off, and it turns out that they can go lower because uh, that podcast is only just a couple of weeks ago. And as this uh, correction has continued, those stocks have gone lower as well. That's why I do... Um, encourage people to put some of these on their watch list or to have like a dollar cost averaging type of strategy for if they go lower, you continue to buy in and buy more shares. But the stock I wanted to talk about is Block. This time I'm going for another one of the fintechs on that other podcast. I did talk about PayPal. So I'm talking about Block. I did bring up their price to consensus and this is similar looking to PayPal's. Um, but you know, it's it's an interesting price and consensus chart because the consensus is higher for every single year, quite dramatically. In fact, if you look at how widespread those lines are across the chart, 
that means it's, you know, pretty big gains are expected here over the next couple of years, but the shares continue to slide. And um, I had to take a look even five years now, they're down 48.5% over the five year period. And Block, formerly known as Square, along with PayPal, these were two of the big winners during the pandemic. You can even see it on this chart in 2020 huge rally and it's given it all back and more. So the question is, is this somewhere you should be getting into right now on this type of correction? Well, this, this one and PayPal would be a play on if you think we're kind of getting close to the bottom here on this correction um, and just a play on value so Block is trading at um, 23 times. It's not as cheap as PayPal, which is around 10 times. But both of the, those companies are reporting earnings this week. So by the time you listen to this podcast, they probably already have. So I do encourage people to take a look at the detailed earnings estimates. I'm bringing that up right now. Um, so I can even just take a look. What are the analysts expecting going into this? Well, it's not too bad. You can see under the agreement uh, tab there, there's more. Someone is, is expecting it to be a little bit better in the last seven days than nobody is cutting here. So, um, yeah, the these fintech, Ethan, what do you think about this area Um because, I mean, look at this earnings growth here, 2023, 69%, 2024, 36%, but the stock continues to sink. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty crazy, and it, it looks like a pretty good opportunity to me as well. Um, like you said, it's a little bit higher, 23 times earnings, but earnings per share are forecast to grow 30% annually over the next three to five years. And, I mean, I hardly go into uh, a brick-and-mortar retailer without them, you know, having... Uh, you know, the square, uh, checkout. And it's a really, I mean, probably my favorite one to use when I'm checking out. I mean, as, as seamless as it gets, you need to pop out your phone and or your card and you just tap and go. And I've only seen more and more. So it's trading like it's supposed to go to zero and with, with growth like that. And, uh, you know, just a, a good business model. It, it seems like a pretty good opportunity. Yeah. And you can see on the sales growth, 2023 expected to be up 22% and then 2024, 12%. So uh, obviously these numbers will change and adjust as we go along. Um, but even on, you know, in a recessionary environment, and if this slows, it's still pretty attractive given the huge sell-off here. Yeah. But this kind of goes to what is always the scenario is, that, you know, a stock is hot and everybody wants to be in it. And then when it's not, everybody does, you know, they, they jump ship, they, they get out of there and then it can go, um, where it is truly a value and where, you know, you and I are sitting there going, what, what's wrong here? <laughs> what are we missing? So that's when the value investors really, uh, sit up and take notice. So, um, for some reason, this podcast has kind of evolved into maybe a little more of a value bent than I would have thought. Do you think that that's like just because of this correction we're in or is that the tone of the market right here? Um, well, I forget who said it. I don't know. Some famous investor, but all good investing is value investing, right? <clears throat> you want to buy right. something for less than it's worth. It's <clears throat> a good way to limit your risk and 
you know, get uh, good returns. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was a lot to cover on this episode, but I feel like with the stocks really weak here, you know, it's a good time to consider your strategy and think about having a watch list of some kind. Maybe it includes some of these, maybe get a little more defensive here if you're staying in stocks while this is going on. And to remember that November and December usually are the best months for stocks of the year. We'll see if that pans out this year. There's no guarantees, but you might want to have a plan in place if it does happen. So let me recap the stock tickers we talked about. There was Vistra, which is the utilities, and it's ticker V as in Victor, S as in Sam, T as in Tom. We did talk about Alphabet. Everybody knows that one, but it is G-O-O-G-L. And then there was Energy with the big oil, Chevron, ticker C as in Charles, B as in Victor, X. And then we we uh, mentioned Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway, ticker BRK. And then on Zax.com, it's period B to get the B shares, and it's period A to get the A shares. Some sites use a dash there as well, but on Zax, it is a period. So BRK period B to get the ticker. And then block is still ticker SQ from its square days. Apparently it has not secured the block ticker yet and maybe never will. So it'll remain SQ. And as always, you can get all of our uh, podcasts on Apple. You can get them on Spotify. You can get us on Amazon Music. You can also get this as the video podcast on zax.com slash YouTube. And you can get it as just a normal podcast that you can listen to on our podcast page on YouTube, which is just Zach's podcast. You can subscribe separately over there and get all of our podcasts, including, uh, you know, ETF investor and all of our other great podcasts on there. So be sure to get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.